0: Welcome to Kishwaukee Bible Church. Form ever follows function. That was the guiding principle of one of the most renowned architects, uh, Louis Sullivan, Chicago-based architect. And his, his sort of battle cry in the world of design was that form follows function. And so as an architect designing buildings, he always started with, okay, what is the function of this building? What is this building going to do? I'm going to design a, a, a form, a, a, uh, a building that is around the function of this building. The form of it is going to follow the function. And he became famous. People even thought that he coined the phrase, form follows function. But even Sullivan, it's good to mention an Irishman the week of St. Patrick's Day, isn't it? I just thought about that on the way, on the way in this morning. Even Sullivan admitted that that this was not a new concept, that the idea of form-following function had been around for for generations, for millennia. And for those of us who look to Scripture and understand the great architect and the great designer, we see form-following function all over the world, all over his uh, created order, so we understand that it's coming from another place. And this morning... As we look at God's word from 1 Corinthians chapter 12, we see God's hand in design and form following function. Just listen to these words. From verse, from verse 18, but God has arranged the members. Verse 24, God so composed the body. Verse 28, God has appointed In the church. God's hand of design. And God's hand of design, not just on the created order out there, but on the people that He created for Himself. His people, the church of Jesus Christ. And in this text, the Apostle Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is going to give us one of the most beautiful and most profound pictures of of what the church and God's people is to be by comparing the church, us, to the human body. And Paul takes this image and then he uses it throughout Scripture, throughout the, the, the letters that he wrote. But this is really in, in the book of 1 Corinthians where he, he begins to fill out. And this is one of the most profound passages in all Scripture about what the church is to be like. We have other pictures of the church, and Paul has giving, given us other pictures of God's people. He said we're, we're like a family. He's, we've been referred to as brothers and sisters, the family of families. Paul has used that. Back in uh, chapter 3, uh, Paul said we are, we're, like, we're like the temple of God. Elsewhere, it says we're like living stones being built together. But here, he wants to communicate something very specific about how the church functions based on our form, comparing it to the human body. So let's, let's look, first of all, at the text. Let me read our text this morning. Remember that Paul, at the beginning of chapter 12, is addressing another area of concern that the Corinthians have that they've written to him about. Uh, namely about spiritual gifting or spiritual manifestations, how the Spirit gets worked out in the way that God's people serve together and the different giftings and manifestations of the Spirit that we have. And there was was some sense of rivalry and some sense of superiority going on in the church of Corinth. And so Paul wrote to to answer their question and give them some correction. We looked at that beginning last week in verses 1-2. Through 11 and Paul continues and he expands. Remember, Paul answers these questions, but he answers them oftentimes in a yes, but yes, you have a point, but here's something else you need to realize. Yes, you have a point about spiritual gifts and spiritual manifestations, but here's something you guys really need to get in terms of your life together as the body of Christ. So, Paul writes in verse 12 of chapter 12, First Corinthians. For just as the body, that is the human body, is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. For in the one Spirit we were all baptized into one body. Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of the one Spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. And those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow with greater honor. And our presentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which, and the unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ, and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating in various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak in tongues? Do all interpret? The emphatic answer, by the way, is no. But earnestly desire the higher gifts. And I will show you a still More excellent way. This is really an amazing picture, amazing metaphor that the Apostle Paul builds here of of the human body, of taking the church and comparing it to the human body, and saying, here is what, here's what we can learn about how God designed the church from the picture of the human body. And so this morning we're gonna learn three lessons from this text about God's design for the church. Three lessons, and then we're going to come to a conclusion as well. And the first lesson from verses 12 through 13 is this. Remember, comparing the church to the human body, that that though the church, though the body of Christ is diverse, there are many of us, yet we are one. Though the church is diverse, we are one. And Paul's been kind of going back In 4th, if you read uh, back to the beginning of chapter 12, you'd see he's kind of going between this unity and diversity theme. And right now, he wants to camp out and and talk about unity. He wants to talk about the oneness of the church. And and notice the source of our oneness. Paul says, look at them, first of all, in verses 12 and 13, how many times you see the word one. Uh, The body is one. Though many, one body. One body. And why? Because he says it twice. Because of one spirit. We are one body, Paul says, because we were all baptized into one spirit. And then he says we also drank of that same one spirit. Now, I think as Paul is talking about baptism here, he's not talking about the physical act of baptism, but he's talking about the greater reality of what that signifies. That that baptism is when someone who has made a profession of saving faith in Jesus Christ is plunged beneath the water. And what that, that picture, what that symbol tells us is that that person, as it were, they, they have died to their old self going under the water, and God, through his Holy Spirit, has resurrected them to new life, to faith in Jesus Christ. And the water symbolizes the washing away of a person's sin. And Paul is saying what unites us, what makes us one, though we are different, we look different, we come from different places, we have different stations in life, we are different ages. What makes us one is that we all have that same profession of faith in Christ. And in fact, baptism is that sacrament, it is that, that right, R-I-T-E, that, that, you, that is a picture of uniting us to Christ and us being enfolded into the church, enfolded into the body of Christ. Baptism happens at the beginning of someone's faith journey. And so Paul is being saying, you've been immersed in the Holy Spirit through faith in Christ. You've got the Spirit all over you, but you've also got the Spirit in you. Because everyone who has trusted in Jesus Christ is, is, is filled with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit comes to dwell in them. And so Paul uses this, this picture of we've all drunk of the same Spirit. And so if you have the Spirit on the inside... And if the spirit has been on your outside as it were pictured in baptism then then wherever you come from whether he says whether you're Jew or Greek the most uh, the, the clearest ethnic and religious marker that people in his day would have had whether you're Jewish or Greek uh, whether you're slave or free the clearest socioeconomic and and class marker that someone in his day would have had it doesn't matter if by God's grace you've trusted in Christ and you have the Spirit has washed you clean of your sin, and if you are filled with the Holy Spirit, you are one. The, this is the thing that unites us. Uh, this is the label that we, should, uh, that we should wear with the greatest amount of pride. This is the thing that should mark us. And, and no, other, no other label, no other way that we designate for ourselves. All those words that we put with a little hyphen, I'm, I'm this. None of those should mark who we are. We are one in Christ because of the Spirit's work in our life. I wonder if we could perhaps illustrate that uh, today. I'm going to, on the count of three, I want you to say where you were born, all right? Say where you were born. One, two, three. Okay. On the count of three, I want you to say the person. Who died so that you could be born again and be a new creation? One, two, three. Jesus. OK, that's pretty good. You guys are awake this morning. On the count of three, uh, what is your ethnic background? One, two, three. Somebody said "mut," I think. <laughs> I think I thought I heard that. On the count of three, I want you to say the name of the person who died and rose again to unite a people from every tribe and language and nation. One, two, three. Jesus. On the count of three, I want you to say whether you're an introvert or an extrovert. No, we won't do that because the introverts won't talk out loud, so <laughs> we can't do that. On the count of three, what generation are you a part of? One, two, three. Isn't it amazing how we all know what generation... To, we're a part of Did people in other eras know what this was. On the count of three, I want you to say the name of the one who is the Alpha and the Omega, who is absolutely eternal over all time and will return to unite his people. One, two, three. He is the one who defines who we are. None of these other labels do it. When we, when we gather as God's people and we become part of the church, those other markers might have some level of significance, but they pale in comparison to this. We are united in one spirit. We are God's people. And that's, that's Paul's initial point here, that we are one. And we are one as a local church as well. And the implication for this church, for Kishwaukee Bible Church, is that this church is a true expression Of the body of Christ. Everything that we're going to learn here this morning about the church is true of of the church, universal, right? True of all believers who who we have been united to in one spirit. But the reality is, is these things work out in our lives and in in our churches on a local level. Listen to how Don Carson uh, puts that. In the New Testament, characteristically, each local church is not a part of the whole church, but it is simply a church. The outcropping of the church, the exemplar of the church in any particular place. So also with Paul's language about the body. Paul does not mean that each congregation is a part of the body of Christ or a body of Christ. Rather, he means that each congregation, including kishwaukee bible church each church is the body of christ each local church if i may may put it this way he writes is the exemplification of the church the people of god in any place are the people of god the church not simply a part of the people of god i know that's a little bit spacey and out there But I think it's important to remember what he's trying to say and what I believe the New Testament teaches is that that there are many expressions of Christ's body in this community and around the world. And together we are the the, the church, capital C, the church universal. But each of these local churches are not simply a part of the church that that sort of becomes the whole church universal, but but in and of ourselves we we are the expression of the church of Christ. We are the body of Christ, not just a part of the body of Christ. And that's important as we think about our oneness and our unity this morning, as well as our diversity. So let's move on to that. Paul, like I said, is going back between unity and diversity. His first point, the first thing we should note about God's design for the church is that we are one. Okay, we begin with unity, but we don't end there. Here's the converse of that. Though we are one, we are diverse. God is interested in unity, but he's not interested in uniformity. He's interested in us being united by the same spirit, but he's not interested in us being the same or in sameness. And Paul explains that again through this picture of the body, beginning in verse verse 14. The body doesn't consist of one member. By definition, a body isn't one member, it's, it's many members. And so if, you know, if your foot could talk, it couldn't say to another part of your body, gosh, because I'm not you, because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body. If it could say that, I suppose it would say that. But that, he says, wouldn't make it any less a part of the body. And so we might doubt, we might look at our giftedness, we might look at our role in the church and say, well, I'm not sure I belong. I'm not sure, I'm not sure I'm, I'm adequate for this. Or or why did God give me this role? Or I wish I had that part to play in God's body. You might feel that, but God's word says you might feel that, but that doesn't make you any less a part of the body. You are a part of the body. You you can't get away from that. You can't opt out if you are a believer from being a part of the body of Christ, a, a part of the local fellowship. And Paul says it's that way, because, verse 18, God arranged it that way. God arranged it that way, each member as he chose, so that, he, Paul writes, we would have specific care for one another. You see, God didn't want the church to be just one expression of the Spirit. He didn't want it to be just one manifestation. Last week we put all those uh, different gifts or types of ways of serving in the church that the Spirit uh, gifts us to do. And there were a variety of them, and we didn't even list all of them uh, last week. There, you can read them in this text if you go back uh, in the rest of chapter 12, or if you go to Romans chapter 12, uh, Ephesians chapter 4. And God's interest was not in uniformity. And Paul gets kind of comical here. He said, what would it be like if, if one, if the, if the body were just one member or one body part. I, when I read that, I couldn't help but thinking of this really cheesy sci-fi movie from the 60s, The Brain That Wouldn't Die. You've, you've, did you ever see this? Look it up. Not right now, but there's like, it's like this head. Decapitated from the body, living in a bunch of black ooze. And it is the weirdest, creepiest thing. But that's the kind of thing Paul is talking about here. As weird and grotesque as that sounds, I mean, if, if, if a, an ear all by itself came walking in, a six-foot ear this morning, we would all freak out. It would be so grotesque. And Paul says, well, that's what it's like. If, if, if you just, if as a church, you're focusing on this one type of expression of the Spirit, if you're all about this one way of serving, If if the heroes in your church are only people who serve that way or or have this gift, that's as grotesque as a six-foot ear walking into your fellowship. God didn't make it that way. By definition, a body is not one part. By definition, a body is many different parts. Yet it's one body. So the implications are, are, first of all, Yeah, we should never be focused on one type of way of serving. Each of us has a unique contribution to make. Each one's contribution should be honored. Each one's contribution should be valued. But then the question is, are you making your contribution? Are you participating in the life of the church? Do you understand how God has gifted you in a place, in a role where you can serve? And if you haven't, it might be helpful to take something like a spiritual gifts inventory or survey, but I think even a couple of things you could do that would be even much more helpful would be to talk to some people who know you well and say, how have, how have you been ministered to by me? Are, are there ways that you've been encouraged or what do you see in me? And another way is just to start serving. You know, if they need help in the nursery and you start serving, your spiritual gifting will rise to the top. Uh, Maybe you're not gifted with compassion for small children. But if you're gifted with the gift of administration, you know what you'll start doing in the nursery? You'll start organizing their toys. And you'll start moving things around. You'll start working on the schedule. And in your gifting will just rise to the top. You know, if the church needs help setting up chairs and you volunteer, Perhaps you can't ch- set chairs in straight rows like this, like somebody is doing a great job of. Uh, but you, you love talking to the people that you serve with. And you know how to encourage them. And you, you listen to them. And, and guess what? You find out you have the gift of encouragement. Uh, you find out you have the gift of counsel. Just because you started to serve. And the body needs the diverse expressions of the spirit. We can't say of whatever gifting we have, well, because I don't have the thing that people really think is cool, I'm not a part of the body. Paul writes, for that reason, that does not make one not a part of the body. And so there is a necessity in our diversity. There's a necessity in your human body. You need all the different various parts that you have. It's, It's absolutely necessary. And Paul writes under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, the same goes In the church. We need the different expressions of the Spirit, all of them in the church. And so we value unity, our oneness through the one spirit, and we value diversity, our differences in the different ways that we serve. So then the question is: how do these things work together? How does unity and and diversity work together in the body of Christ? And much and, and even more so, how can it work together for the good of the body? How can it work together to glorify God and for his people to flourish? And that's what Paul gets into with our third lesson about God's design for the church. And here we are getting, beginning in verse 21, into the heart of the message here, of what God wants to communicate to us about how our unity and how our diversity work together, namely to produce mutuality or interdependence. This is the heart of God's design for the church, that, that, our, that our unity and that our diversity would work together for mutuality. So for, verses 15 and 16 talk about a sense of, of inferiority. Oh, maybe I'm not part of the church. Beginning in verse 21, there's a sense of superiority that Paul wants to correct. Look, look at that again. Again, the image of the body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor the head to the feet, I have no need of you. I mean, we talk about hand-eye coordination, right? Without hand-eye coordination, we got nobody playing up here this morning. Without hand-eye coordination, nobody's going to turn, turn on the TV this afternoon and watch a basketball game. Hand-eye coordination is really a cool thing. It's a gift of God. Our, our, we, we, we need it. And Paul says, well, just like your body needs hand-eye coordination and your eye can't say to the hand or the head to the feet, I have no need of you, the very same thing goes in the body of Christ. Notice Paul is starting to move into the whole realm of need. In fact, he says, verse 22, on the contrary, there are parts of your body that seem really weak. I mean, take your lungs, for example. Your lungs are kind of wimpy because they need this whole rib cage thing to protect them. They're just a bunch of, I've never seen lungs, but I understand they're just kind of a bunch of floppy flesh. But if you don't have lungs, you don't survive for even a minute. They're, they're absolutely indispensable. And again, Paul is talking about the, the members of the church, saying there are people in your midst, Kishwaukee, that you might think are weak, very unimpressive. They're absolutely indispensable for what God wants to do through this congregation. Paul goes on with the metaphor. He says, let's face it, there are parts of the body we're kind of ashamed of. We don't want people to see them, so we put clothes on them, we put layers of clothes on them, we think about the clothes, that we put stylish clothes on those parts of our body. We're ashamed of those parts of the body and yet we, have spent a whole lot of, we spend a lot of time thinking about how to cover them and, and dress them up. Whereas there are other parts of your body, like your hand, unless it's cold out, you don't even think about putting something on your hand. Paul says it's the same way in the body of Christ. It's the same way in the church. There might be those in the church that we think are less honorable, but actually they are the ones deserving of greater honor. His point is that in the body of Christ, there is a sense that we need one another. There is a sense that we are not, a reality that we are not autonomous, but rather that we are indispensable. Each one is indispensable to the other. Your brother or your sister is indispensable to our flourishing as a local body of Christ. And so this, this unity and diversity dynamic work out to, toward mutuality, works, works beautifully together. Kind of made me think of, of eating a really great meal, a, a great dish. Like several years ago, uh, we had some friends when we were living in the Southwest who invited us over uh, for, for an all-day event, and they were going to fix a Mexican paella, and I had never had this before and it took all day long. And they threw in the different ingredients, some chorizo and some shrimp and some rice and some chilies and some tomatoes and a bunch of other stuff. And it just kind of simmered and simmered and simmered, and then we ate it, and it was so good. It was one dish of paella that I'd never had before, and yet I could taste the flavors of the individual components. It was beautiful. It was all the individual Components working together to make one thing that was better than the individual parts. And I think that's what Paul is saying when he's talking in comparing the body of Christ to the human body. I mean, you take, this is kind of gross, but if you take the parts of your body and could kind of separate them out, they don't do any good until they're united. And the sum of our parts, the whole is greater than the sum of our parts. Humanly speaking, okay, that's just the picture. Here is the reality Kishwaukee Bible Church. The sum of the individual people that God has gathered into this body is greater than than they are. The, the, The mutuality of that is greater than the sum of the individual parts in order for God to accomplish what he wants to accomplish for his glory in this place. And so here's here's the big idea that Paul is communicating, that God is communicating to us this morning. That he designed the church so that our need for one another would cultivate true community. God actually designed the church so that we would need one another. So that we wouldn't be independent, but rather that we would be interdependent. And the human body teaches us that. Now think about that for a second. The human body, I think we're safe to say, is God's most sacred creation because it houses his image bearers. It is his great design masterpiece. But he didn't design the human body for independence. He didn't even design people for independence. Do you remember the first thing that God said wasn't good before the fall, before sin, in the garden? God said there was something that wasn't good. And it was that the first human being was alone. And so he made another to correspond. And so even, even the way God made us before the fall indicates that we need one another, that, that we were designed for community. We were designed to live in communion with our God, and we were designed to live in communion with one another. God actually designed us with that need. Would you design something with needs? This past week, a friend of mine invited me to visit his family business, and and this company makes these really cool robotic arms that do all these functions for the automotive industry, picking up parts and then moving them here and stuff like that. And that's what they do. They build these these machines and then these these robotic arms for their customers in the automotive industry and then they send them out to them. Now you better believe that when those components get to the customer, they had better be fully able to do everything they're supposed to do. that, That component better not have any need. It would be downright foolish to design that product with needs. But God has designed us with needs the pinnacle of his creation. We have need for one another. We're inadequate without each other. It's not good for us to be independent. You and I were designed to be dependent on one another and interdependent. We were designed for what the Bible calls koinonia. You don't have to know a lot of these Greek Bible words or Hebrew Bible words from the Old Testament. Uh, But I think there are a few that that are good for us to know. I think koinonia is one. Because it's the the New Testament word, though it's not used here in this text. Paul uses it elsewhere in 1 Corinthians and in many other places. Uh, It is the word that describes our partnership with one another. The stake that God's people have in one another's lives. It's our shared life. It's true community. What does true community look like in the body of Christ? Look again at verse 25 and 26. This is God's design for the church, designed with needs in order to produce true community. This is what true community looks like, verse 25. It doesn't look like this. It doesn't look like divisions. It doesn't look like cliques in the church. It doesn't look like factions in the church. But it looks like this, that the members would have the same care for one another. Uh, That that idea of same care, Paul used that earlier, uh, talking about the the, the care that one spouse has for another. The the anxiety, a good kind of anxiety. I have a a stake in that person's life, and so I care about them. I care about what happens to them. What does having a stake in someone else's life look like? Verse 26. If one member suffers, all suffer. If one member is honored, all rejoice. If a member of this church suffers, then you suffer. If a member of this body is honored, then you rejoice. I mean, friends, there that's it. That's the diagnostic for whether a church is a healthy local church or not. That's the diagnostic for whether this is a healthy body or not. Sure, we can measure things by finances. We can measure things by attendance. That might have its place. But this is the primary measurement. When your brother or your sister hurts, do you feel it? When you see God's grace in your brother or sister's life, do you rejoice? Thank you, Lord. We're part of that together. What's going on in her life, God, thank you for that. I rejoice in that. Do you suffer with your brother or sister? You hear about the difficulty in their life, and you feel that somewhere in yourself. You lift them up to the Lord. I think one of the beautiful things that has come out of this season of transition for Kishwaukee Bible Church is that through the self-study of the introspection process, this whole area has been identified as an area of, desired, of need and desired growth, the desire to grow relationally as a church. And friends, here is the recipe. How do we grow together relationally as a church? How do we come more united? Having the same care. Having mutual care for one another. Putting ourselves in in places and in opportunities with others that that we can have an investment in their life and they can have an investment in our life so that when someone here is hurting, I hurt. And when I observe God's grace in someone else's life and and they are honored, I rejoice because, because we are connected to one another. There's true community, we are going through life together. It's God's design for the church, that our unity and our diversity would result in an interdependence. That's the form, unity and diversity. The function is that we would have true community, that we would be a better reflection of, the true, of, of Christ, the true body of Christ. And Paul concludes this in beginning in verse 27. He concludes his lesson for God's design for the church. And I have to admit that as I was studying this passage, I really, I really kind of wanted to just chuck verses 27 through 31. I wanted to pull a Thomas Jefferson and just kind of cut this part. I don't like this part of my Bible. We'll just get rid of it. For a couple of reasons. <laughs> uh, one is that Paul seems to sort of negate his whole point. He's, he's talking about how we're equal and the same. And then if you look beginning at verse 27, he seems to start to rank the, the, the gifting in the church. Like, Paul, you're, you're killing your whole point here. It's sort of like, you know, if your friend who is a vegan, if you see them in the drive-thru line at McDonald's, you're kind of like, dude, you're killing your whole point here. Like, Paul, what you, you just said we're all equal. Same care for everyone. And now you're saying there's first this gift, and there's then this gift, and there's then that gift. Well, I don't actually think... Um, I'm going to tell you what I, what I know about verses 27 through 31. Um, not what I don't know. I used to have a football coach in high school. If anybody ever said they couldn't do something, he would say, don't tell me what you can't do, tell me what you can do. My goal as a preacher is not to tell you what I don't know, but rather to tell you what I do know. There, there's books and volumes about what I don't know. But what I do know about this passage is I don't think that Paul is is ranking gifts in terms of importance. Perhaps he is ranking gifts in terms of functionality. Like you got to have some apostles sent out first or you're not going to have any new churches planted. And you're going to have to have some people hearing from God in terms of prophets. And you're going to have to have some people teaching and grounding the church. And so there's maybe an order of functionality. But it's not an order of importance here. Another reason I, I think it's not in order of importance, he starts first, second, third, and then he just kind of trails off. Then, then, and then he doesn't even use that word. And his whole point in verse 29, he, he asks these, these real you know, repetitive, staccato little questions here, and the answer is an emphatic no. Are all apostles? No. Are all prophets? No. Are all teachers? No. No, no, no. And so he, he's, he's bringing things back to the level of equality there. And so I don't think he's, he's ranking gifts here. The other reason I was a little bit frustrated with this, um, is, or not frustrated, but just um, didn't know what Paul was getting at here is because he seems to be Captain Obvious in verse 27. I mean, he's just gone on and on about the church and the body of Christ and that the church, or the church is like the human body and he's explaining that. And he, he's explaining the body of Christ and then he says... The most obvious thing that it seems like he could say in verse 27, he says, now you are the body of Christ. And at first I thought, well, yeah, Paul, that's what you've been telling us this whole time. But think about it, when somebody repeats something, uh, that's probably when we should really pay attention. And I think that is Paul's big point here in this concluding remarks. You are the body of Christ, local church. And individually, you are members of the body of Christ. Don't get over that. You are the body of Christ. Paul's saying, I'm not just, I'm not just comparing you to some human body. Some, some some theoretical human body. I'm using this picture. You are the. It's Jesus' body. How important is Jesus' body? How important is it that Jesus has a body, folks? This is what we celebrate at Christmas: the incarnation, that the, that Jesus, the eternal Son of God, took on flesh. He had to have a body. In order for that body to be put to death on the cross. In order for our sins to be paid for and atoned for. In order that God's forgiveness could flow out from Jesus' sacrifice. And in order that Jesus could be raised from the dead and offer all who come to him eternal life. Paul says, you are the body of Christ, you are are members of it. And folks, that is your true identity. That is who you are. And remember how that happened. Paul said it right at the beginning of this book in chapter 1. He says in chapter 1, you were called to be saints. God called out to you to be his holy people. God called you into fellowship, into koinonia, with his son, chapter one. That's how you came to be. You were, you were called by God. You were called out. And in fact, that is, that is the, the, the New Testament word for church. Ecclesia is the called out ones, those who have been called out to be in the assembly of God's people together. And that's how God has always made his people. You can go back to Genesis chapter 12, that God, in his plan of redemption, called one man, Abram, called him out from the pagan land that he lived in, called him away from his family, and said, I am going to bless you. I am going to make a great nation of you, and I am going to bless that nation. I am going to bless that people that they can be, bring my blessing to the ends of the earth because my plan will not fail. I have intended to glorify for my name to be glorified. And I am creating a people to represent me in this world, to show what it looks like to be in koinonia, to be in fellowship with their creator and with one another. And so through Abram, God created a people. And he gave them, he redeemed them out of Egypt, and he gave them his law. And they were to be a display people. They were to show the world what it meant to live in fellowship with one another and with their creator. But they weren't able to do it. And so God sent his son, Jesus Christ, gave him a body. And Jesus, the perfect Israel, did what God's Old Testament people were not able to do. He obeyed God's law perfectly, lived in perfect koinonia, in perfect fellowship and relationship with his creator and with his fellow man. And through his sacrifice, through his death on the cross, Jesus created a new people for God, God's new covenant people. It's why Jesus says we, we read when we celebrate communion, this is a new covenant in my blood. And through Jesus, a new people from every tribe and every language and every ethnic group becomes God's new community, his true community. And so now our call is the same call. It's to live as as a people who display what it looks like to our world, to live in communion with our God and with one another. We are the prototype for the new humanity that God is creating. We are the trailer to the film. And unlike so many film trailers that you've watched that end up being way better than the film itself, the reality, what we will be when we are united with with all of God's people for all of eternity, glorified and perfected in Christ, living in the new heaven and the new earth. That's a movie that's way better than the trailer. And God has called us to be that in this community. And the way we do that is by being united together in our pursuit, not just of the gifts of the Spirit, but our pursuit of one another. Because we are the gift of the Spirit to one another as we live and as we serve in the local church, but as we do it together for the sake of our neighbors, for the sake of the nations. Friends, our world doesn't know what it means to to be in true community. That word community gets thrown around a lot in our world. Any group that gets together and does the same thing is a community. You have the gaming community. You have the LGBT community. Any label that you can have becomes community. But what our world is longing for is the picture that we see here, the body of Christ functioning in a healthy way, united through one spirit, where people from all kinds of different backgrounds are equally loved and equally valued. Friends, that is attractive, and that is our witness to our world. And so, what Paul says here and what the Spirit teaches us this morning about this unity and diversity resulting in mutuality goes beyond, beyond what we do together in the local church, as important as that is, but it has implications for our mission to our world. As well, How did God design the church? He designed the church so that our need for one another would cultivate true and authentic community among us as the body and as a witness to who God is to the world. Amen. God, we can truly say that once we were not a people but now by your grace, we are the people of God. Once we had not been shown mercy, but God, we are so grateful that through Jesus Christ, you have shown us mercy. And Lord, I pray that we would, living out of the mercy that you've shown us, and just the undeserving nature of your grace to us through Jesus Christ. That we would would look at one another in this local body. And that each one would be dear to us. And God, would you grow us in our capacity to both suffer when our brother or sister suffers, and to rejoice when you honor them that we might more and more look like the people who bear your name for the sake of the world who so needs that. I pray this in Jesus' name. Thank you for joining us. For more information about our church, please visit our church's website at kishbible.org. That's k-i-s-h-bible.org.